introduction for me. Uh, uh, my name is Matt Thomas. I'm one of the uh, bishops in the Free Methodist Church. I work with about, uh, whether you know it or not, you are one of about 16,000 churches that are part of our ministry family around the world in about uh, 100 countries, actually 98 to be exact, and uh, at least that we know of. And uh, we get to, I'm not in all of them. I don't go to all of those churches, just to answer the question. There's not enough uh, days, but Marlene and I have been to about 60 countries. Uh, we've traveled around the globe. We just, in fact, got back from a trip to Asia. And, uh, and I'll be sharing a little bit about the good things that the Lord is doing. But the g- Lord is doing good things in your midst. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I actually, the first time I, I was trying to think back, first time I actually spoke in this church, I think, was 1981. That's how old I am, and that's how long ago that was. Uh, and I said something about, uh, I said, well, you changed the stage up here. And somebody said, that was 12 years ago. And I said, well, I haven't been here in a while. But uh, I have been here a handful of times since then. But it's good to be with you again. Uh, your former pastor who just retired, and I know you had a good celebration, um, uh, sending them off with the great, uh, with great aplomb. Uh, Pastor Doug was a good friend of Marlene and mine, uh, Pastor Doug and Linda, for a number of years. In fact, we pastored in the same church at one time. Uh, he followed us and uh, in a place that we were at for some time. So we've known uh, Doug and Linda dating back to the mid-80s and uh, had a wonderful time getting to know them uh, through the years. And so we're grateful for their service here. Uh, we do want to say the conference that we just had, we had the privilege of um, ordaining some of your leaders and bringing them into to ministry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, pastors, Stan and Glenda Baker, are right up in the front. Give a, give a wave, and, and you can congratulate them. That's right. Uh, wonderful people, wonderful godly people. And let's see, uh, Trevor, I think we had some other CMCs and ordinands in the church here, but I don't see them all, right? Who are we? Oh, yeah, Caleb, right here. Stand up. That's right. Uh, congratulations to you. You're a lovely couple, and I, I look forward to the ministry that the Lord has in store for you as well. And there were some CMCs, or were, no? I can't remember. Okay, all right. It was just other, some of the other places. But the good things going on in the conference, good things going on in your church. And I'm really excited to introduce to you. You're going to have kind of a, um, they'll be commissioned in a few weeks, actually three weeks after this Sunday on uh, the 2nd of July, but your um, upcoming a new pastor and, and spouse are both here. I, they weren't planning on being here, but they just decided to show up and make sure that the bishop did okay. Uh, so, uh, pa- Pastor uh, Andrew and Cheryl Miller, you want to come up here for just a second? Yeah. Come on up. Now, I just want you to know uh, you're getting good ones. So uh, these two are godly, wonderful leaders, have been leading in the church, um, up in, in a church up in Portland. Uh, they, they're coming down here, but Cheryl actually works in this area. So this is kind of be a move home for both of them in a sense. They both lived in this area in the past, but, uh, but uh, Pastor Andrew has actually pastored all the way back on the East Coast. He's been all over the U.S., and I want them just to bring a word of greetings, and we're going to pray for them. So if you would... Uh, well, praise the Lord. I've been waiting to see you guys in person, and my wife and I, we've been praying, and we're so grateful and been so honored just coming into the Free Methodist Church itself. We have been welcomed with open arms, and just even that applause just touches my heart 
because we're excited to serve you. We're excited to work with you and to see God do wonderful things in this church. It's just a real blessing. So thank you so much for, and I can't wait for three weeks. We're going to really be doing it to it. So uh, here's my lovely wife. Praise the Lord. We are so glad to be here today. And we just had the opportunity to meet so many pastors around the Oregon Conference. And we were truly welcomed into the tribe. And we met some of the um, elders, um, just appointed elders, Glenda and Stan and Caleb and others. And we're just so excited to have the opportunity to serve here at Salem First and in Salem. I've worked here for 10 years, so this is a great opportunity. So we get, we are, we look forward to meeting you. Yes. I know it's going to take some time, but we're going to be patient so we can get to know you. God bless you. Amen. I want you to stay here for a second. Pastor Trevor, you want to come up? Standing. Caleb, uh, I'd like uh, the newly ordained pastors to join up here and lay hands on this couple. There's going to be a formal commissioning later, but uh, I would also like Pastor Trevor just to lead in prayer over this new pastoral couple, and, and we just really praise the Lord. God, we thank you for the new and exciting thing you are doing. God, we thank you for the heart that you have prepared. And even hearing Andrew's story, have you been speaking to his heart about this before he even got a phone call? And God, we just we give you thanks for the way you are orchestrating and working things out. God, I pray that you would knit our hearts together, that, God, that we would have your vision and your understanding and your perspective of, of how to move forward and how to reach the people around us and how to better be your body in this community. God, I just give you thanks for this opportunity to, to welcome new people and new leaders and ask Jesus that you would guide all of us into doing your work. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? You know, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, you say, well, uh, boy, we just got rid of a pastor, got another one, and, uh, you know, it took a long time to get rid of that one. <laughs> How long do it take to get rid of this one? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you've had Doug with you for a long time, and he's, a, he's been a great asset to the church. And Doug was appointed the same way uh, that Andrew is appointed to the church here or any pastors in the Free Methodist Church. The conference doesn't just, we don't just kind of cascade a bunch of people through and everybody trying to figure things out. There's a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, pre-interviewing and vetting, and, uh, and not only reference checking, but also matching gifts to congregation, uh, ability, sense of call. Uh, direction from the Lord uh, from the conference level, and then and then those pastoral uh, prospects are are introduced to um, uh, local church people, or you know that usually they're your delegates at least, and sometimes the board, and uh, and we've kind of walked that journey in every one of the situations of the pastors that you've had through the years, and the Lord is always blessed, and we know that that's going to be the same here, so we're grateful. Well, we want to focus on the Lord, don't we? And by the way, it was just great. Uh, is Gail here? Is, is she still in here? Yeah, Gail, thank you for leading in worship. You and the team, you did a marvelous job. You're blessed to have a wonderful worship team. Did you know that? Yeah.
And the amazing thing was they actually gave me kind of an order of service so I could look and see when I'm getting up. And it said right there, it said Gail Worship. And I thought, what a coincidence of a great last name for your worship leader. It says Gail Worship. So I just think, you know, that's just phenomenal. I'm, I'm grateful that that's your last name as well. Uh, and, if it, and if it's not, it will be from here on out, right, with the rest of the congregation. So what I want you to do is that we're going to walk through the word here uh, for a little while because we want to focus on the Lord. This is Lord's church, right? Yeah, it's not Andrew's church. It's not Doug's church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And you're part of the uh, body of Christ, and so we want you to, to sense the presence of Christ as we're to gather together here. So we're going to take your Bible, and if you want to uh, open up your iPod, or excuse me, uh, open up your Bible, if you have it, uh, to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to take a look at something that's, uh, that may be a common passage for you, it may not, um, but there's, there's several different verses we're going to be looking through together. If you're a person who doesn't read uh, your Bible very much, uh, you should start. That's a command from your bishop, uh, letting you know that that's a good thing probably for you to do. If you are f- familiar with the scriptures but you don't have them in front of you here, then, then, uh, then you can trust me or ask the person sitting next to you, uh, is he accurate? So um, you, can, you can ask those kind of questions. That's okay. Um, I want you to lighten up here a little bit. You're going to have to breathe with me. This is the way this works. When I tell a joke, which I just did, nobody laughed. Uh, if I say something funny, you laugh. I did that one time in a church I pastored years ago. I said, this is how this works, folks. I say something funny, you laugh. And somebody in the back said, when you do, we will. And uh, I thought, oh, that was brutal. That was brutal, wasn't it? Okay. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has been with his disciples for a long time. He's been traveling around with them, and he took them in a place far, far north. How many of you have been to Israel? Probably not a lot, but some of you. Okay, one, two, three, four, okay. Those uh, people just raised their hand, have been, either been to Israel or they want to get saved real quick. So they raise their hand. Pastor Trevor, maybe you want to get saved. So the... Um, uh, in Israel, uh, you know, we travel. It's not a real big country, but when you're on foot and traveling, as Jesus did with his disciples, you know, you kind of stay within approximate area. Well, there was a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was way north, and it was a place that uh, internationals traveled a lot because it was the Las Vegas of Israel at the time. It was just north of Israel. It was a place where all the religions came, and what happened in Caesarea Philippi stayed in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, there was all kinds of riotous living that people would do. People would sacrifice to idols, to different gods. They would do all kinds of things that were, you know, suspect. There was virtually every god who could be worshipped was there. And Jesus takes his disciples there to ask them a question. It's kind of interesting. So it would be like a 20-mile walk. Uh, and they finally stands. I could just envision Jesus standing before all of these idols. And as he stands there, he says, he says to the 12 apostles that are standing with him, his disciples, he said, so... Who do people say that I am? Never, they never asked that question before. But they've, been, they've had their ear to the ground, so they, they know what people have been saying. So they said, well, some say, by the way, I'm reading out of, or I'm quoting out of uh, verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew. It says, some people say John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was a friend of Jesus who had been beheaded, and they thought maybe he'd come back to life in the form of Jesus. He said, and they said, others say that your Elijah, Elijah had been prophesied, would come back because, you know, he, came, he went in power, he was going to come back in power, and Jesus did all these powerful miracles. So he said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, because Jeremiah had prophesied the building of a kingdom that would be a kingdom that was based upon the hearts. So he said, some say one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked them pointedly, oh, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? 
And Peter made the best proclamation that anybody could possibly make. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, Jesus applauded him for that. Jesus uh, took no, wasted no time in uh, saying that this isn't, wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to you by our Father in heaven. And, and uh, he referred to him from that point on as Peter. His name had been uh, Simon before that, uh, but, but now it's Peter. Peter means rock. And he says, this, on this confession, this rock of a confession that you just made, I'm going to build my church. By the way, the gates of hell won't prevail against this. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And because you made this confession, because you realize I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, those things you bind on earth will be bound. Those things you loose will be loosed as well, uh, both on heaven and on earth. And he really praised him for that. Now, Jesus, this is the point I kind of want to, we're going to hover on for a little while. So then Jesus said, okay, now they know who I am, but they don't really know what that means or what's going to happen to me, so I better let them in on it. So if you have your Bibles with you, in verse 21, he says something interesting. He's going to say three things, and he's going to say it again and again and again and again. And so he tells them at this point in time, he says, from that time on, Jesus explained to his disciples, now here are the three things. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer. So there's, a, there's an issue of going to Jerusalem and suffering. He's going to suffer. Um, and he tells it in this passage, it tells him by who, at the hands of uh, the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. Then it says, here's the second component. He's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. And then he ends with the best news of all. He says, and on the third day, he's very explicit. He says, on the third day, be raised to life. <laughs> oh, man, isn't that great news? Isn't that the good news? I mean, finally, 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 somebody's going to conquer the grave. Somebody's going to overcome the grave. And they're going to be able to impart this to everybody else. It's such great news that Peter was celebrating, right? Now, hold it. He says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. You know, Peter couldn't hear the good news because on the way to the good news, there was some pretty tough stuff. Something about suffering and there was something about death. And it so rang like a gong in his ear that somehow the voice of the resurrection was being muffled. Though Jesus was ending with good news, all Peter could say was, never, Lord. Never heard it. And we know that Jesus wasn't pleased with that response. He had been pleased with the one before because Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know what you wouldn't mind having Jesus call you. Probably Satan's not on the list, all right? Yeah, you don't want Jesus calling you Satan, right? And then he has to go and he has to talk specifically about uh, kingdom things in ways that they were not able to hear because they couldn't hear the good news the way that Jesus was trying to convey it. And he was with them in front of this place, so they knew who he was. They had no idea what that meant. And might I suggest, as we launch along, because you're going to see the same kind of thing take place again and again. I'm just letting you know. In fact, if you want to right now, I'm going to invite you to turn to the very next chapter. That's chapter 17. I'm going to have you look at verse 22 and 23 with me because he mentioned the same thing, three things again. Only this is a different context. But here's what I want you to hear. Um, you're going to see a pattern develop, and the pattern is, this, is that Jesus will say the same thing, and he will never end with bad news. He will always end with good news. But you're going to see the same pattern develop and that the disciples can never hear it because they always, 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 according to human nature, get stumbled up on bad news or difficulty or suffering. 
they are just like people today in America in the 21st century. So, maybe they would hear the good news if he could say it in the context of home. So they're home now. They've gone back, and they're in Galilee. And Galilee is where they were all from. There's a, there's a lake there. It's not a sea. Trust me, I've been on it. Uh, not walking on it, but uh, on a boat on it. And, uh, you know, it's not that impressive. It's about four miles wide and about nine miles long. We have lakes bigger in the place I'm from uh, than that. But, uh, you know, there's this, there's this lake that's out there, and, and they, they uh, were all from fishing villages scattered around that, that lake, mostly from the uh, northwest corner of the lake. And so Jesus is home. Maybe they can hear when they're home. Their ears are a little more clear. They're not dulled by the senses of all of these uh, false idols that are around. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, now you'll notice the same three things, only he's going to add some things now. He's kind of revealing a little bit more. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into hands of men. So now, he, you know, who betrays people? You know, somebody that's on an insider, right? Somebody who's a friend. Somebody who's close. It's going to be betrayed in the hands of men. Now, so there's the, s- the beginning of the suffering piece is actually a betrayal, which might be just as bad as a uh, physical beating, uh, that kind of suffering. But then he mentions the other two parts as well. They will kill him, and then very explicitly, not just saying in a generic fashion, but he'll live sometime in the future. He says, on the third day, he'll be raised to life. And they were excited. They finally got it. They finally heard the message. Uh, wait, what are the very next words? It says, the disciples were filled with grief. They heard nothing about the resurrection, but boy, they heard about the murder. And they riveted their attention on the murder and the painful reality. Probably some of them uh, absorbed in their own what's going to happen to us if Jesus is killed scenarios. We left everything. We have no vocation now if he's gone. We expected him to set up a kingdom. And that kingdom doesn't look like it's forthcoming. We don't know exactly what's going to happen now. Now, Jesus, I'm going to have you turn to chapter 20. So we're skipping a few chapters. Jesus is going to do the same thing again. But now it's getting down to the 11th hour. I mean, they're, they're, getting, they're getting closer to Jerusalem. This time they're headed up to Jerusalem. And as you walk, if, if I'm going to follow you, help you follow me on a map here. So Caesarea Philippi is way up here. Galilee's here. Then they go down the Jordan Valley, and they head, way, which is below sea level, by the way, the, sea, the, the Dead Sea, when you get, get down all the way to the bottom of the, of the valley there. And, uh, and they go all the way up to Jerusalem, which is significantly higher than sea level. So it's a trek up, and people would frequently sing songs of praise to the Lord as they were heading up to Jerusalem. It was like they called them songs of ascent. They were headed up. You can read some of the psalms are actually these. And I'm sure that they were probably singing along the way the great things that had taken place in Jerusalem, the great prophecies about Jerusalem. But as Jesus was heading up to Jerusalem, it says that he took the 12 aside. In other words, he wants to take these 12 people, and, he, and it's getting really close to where this is all going to be realized. So he wants to be very explicit. So he mentions the same three things again. If you have your Bibles, it says in verse 17 of chapter 20, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, so he's heading up the hills. He took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, mentions the place again, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. He mentions the betrayal part of suffering, but he gets really explicit into the kind of suffering this time, and the who done it. He'll be betrayed into the chief pri- hands of the chief priests, 
and the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death, but they're going to turn him over. And the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people, are the ones who are actually going to put the nails. And it tells us explicitly how he would die. It just doesn't say killed. What does it say this time? He'll be crucified. But it's the same three components. He'll be suffered a little bit more. He's given them a little more information as they go along. But it's the same, same three components. He will suffer. In other words, this time talks about flogged, beaten, the whole bit. He'll be killed, but not just killed. He'll be crucified. And then he mentions verbatim the same thing, the same third part he mentions all the other times he says again, on the third day be raised to life. Praise the Lord, they finally got it. Now he had just been talking about kingdom stuff. He gets to this bad news, good news stuff, and they uh, blow right over it. And all we know is that there's the mother of James and John had heard about all these kingdom stories that Jesus had been talking about and said, hey, by the way, can my kids have a special place in your kingdom when you get there? Do you notice a pattern? Here's some patterns. Number one, Jesus told them the truth about what was going to happen, right? Number two, the pattern was he not only said the same things every time, but he always ended with the greatest news that's ever been given. On the third day, he'd be raised to life. The third pattern is they never heard it. They never, ever heard the good news. Because they were riveted on the death, the implications of the death, the crucifixion, all the difficulties that were associated with it, uh, what they would experience, the bad news uh, elements of, of death and the implications for them. They were consumed in kind of this uh, dour circumstance, the, the problems that they were having. So Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem, and he takes them up in the upper room, they find an upper room, and it's prepared for them. And by the way, people gave them a great greeting coming into town. You know, at the very beginning, uh, hail is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, blessed be the, uh, the son of David. And uh, they, they lay down palm branches and coats, cloaks, and, uh, and in he comes on a donkey. And so he's, he's marshalling his, his troops, if you will, into Jerusalem, and there's great celebration going on. But right the night before he was betrayed, uh, he had dinner with the folks, and he served them the Lord's Supper. Now you've received communion, haven't you? We remember that night when Jesus had uh, not only served them the supper and told them what it meant, that it was his body that would be broken, and it was his blood that would be poured out for them. But he, he took, immediately after he was finished with that, they sang a hymn. This is in chapter 26, verse 30 if you're looking through with me. They sung a hymn, and then they went up to the Mount of Olives. I've been there, and so you're in Jerusalem. You can see everything from the Mount of Olives. You see all of Jerusalem. Uh, you have to climb a hill. You go down to the Kidron Valley, and then you go all the way up uh, to the Mount of Olives, and you can look around, and you can look down inside the wall, and you can see everything that's going on there. Got lots of uh, places for people to worship and pray uh, and things there. Now, it wasn't quite that neat in those days, of course. But there was a garden there, and they, they, sang a, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. And I could just see Jesus finally getting there. <sighs> After catching his breath, he decides he's going to try it one more time, only he's going to say it differently. He's going to use the Old Testament prophet this time. So rather than just uh, saying the uh, Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men, he can suffer many things, be crucified, and then on the third day be raised to life, he says it this way. He kind of lumps it into two components. 
and he says, he tells them a little bit about their role uh, participating in this, that he was going to have to do this alone. So he says, then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. That's verse 31. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But, and here he always ends with this, after I rise again, now he doesn't get into the third day. He gives them a specific place where he's going to meet them. He says, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Oh, they got it this time, right? They all, finally, he finally gives them a meeting point. And so they surely would have got it. What did Peter hear? All we move to is Peter saying, saying, <laughs> oh, everybody else, everybody else might scatter. Everybody else might deny you. I'll never deny you. You know, I think Jesus said, should I call him Satan again? Nah, I already done that. I already done that once. I don't need to do that again. Oh, my goodness. How many times? Four times. I tell them this marvelous news, and all they focus on is the bad stuff, is the difficult stuff. I told them I was going to meet him. I told them I'd go ahead of him to Galilee. Peter didn't hear it, so he says, hey, Peter, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, you pronounced how you'd never deny me, but before the rooster crows in the morning, you're not only going to deny me once or twice, but three times. And we're off and running, and most people, they miss the fact that Jesus was saying the same thing here. They get caught up in whatever Peter was doing, which, by the way, Peter was caught up in whatever Peter was doing. And we follow his lead. In fact, I don't know many people that have read these passages of Scripture that paid much attention at all to the response of the disciples when Jesus gave them the best news ever given. So I'm going to take you to one more passage. And uh, while you're turning there, it's in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 is kind of after the resurrection, so it's finally, it's finally taken place. And, and uh, angels are there. Jesus is not. Uh, excuse me, uh, Luke, Luke, I said ch chapter 24. Um, yeah, I meant Luke chapter 24, the first. Uh, we'll take a look at the first eight verses when we're done. Um, angels appear there, so... So they're kind of shocked, I, I think, uh, because the angels end up saying exactly what Jesus said before. They end up becoming, they listen to Jesus how many times? At least four. May have been six, eight, ten. We don't know. It just, it says in the second time that Jesus said this, it said from this time forward, from the time he was in Galilee, he told them again and again. Uh, now, the Matthew's gospel records four instances, but uh, there may have been six or eight times where Jesus, I wouldn't, it wouldn't doubt it, put it past him if he said this, Ten times. I'm going to suffer. I want to, I want to let you know I'm going to going to be killed, but <laughs> the third day I'm going to be raised to life. They never heard it. Do you think the angels heard it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, they get it. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, this is chapter 24 of Luke. The women took spices they prepared to the tomb because they did not expect the resurrection because nobody were listening. Okay. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, and, and in Luke's gospel, it says there were two men. In Matthew's gospel, it talks about their angels, but they're really glistening white. And uh, so, you know, they were, they were definitely angels. I mean, they might have had, you know, they might have just had white hair like Pastor Andrew, but uh, I think there was something more going on than that. I think there was something that was happening. They were, don't, don't expect him to get up here and be gleaming white, okay? His first Sunday. All right. 
So it says in verse 5, in their fright, the women bowed down to the ground. You know, they hadn't probably seen angels before. But the men said to them, <laughs> I like this. This is kind of the, the incredulous nature of the angels. We've already heard this message so many times. They've recited it in angel Sunday school. And they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they said this, he's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? Now notice what they include all three parts. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. Okay, the suffering part. Be crucified, and on the third day be, be raised to life. And it says in verse 8, then they remembered his words. <laughs> it's like, it's the classic, if, you, if I were to retranslate verse 9 with all my Greek knowledge, I would translate it as, oh, yeah. That's what, that's what verse 8 was. Oh, yeah. Then they remembered his words. He'd said it time and time and time again. What's the issue here, folks? <laughs> the issue is the disciples were like you and were like me. We get so hung up on the financial situation or the dire circumstances, that relationship or our own brokenness, our own sin or the shame associated with it, or the difficulties that we have in life or the, how hard it is to get a job or to deal with some of the circumstances. The Holy Spirit never leaves us like that. Never, ever. He always imparts his hope to people that by faith will receive it. He always reminds us that we win, that Satan loses. Jesus never, ever looked at the cross. Every free Methodist church that I know of, we have a cross somewhere in the, in the church, which is good. Because you're not saved without what Jesus did on the cross. Do you understand? But you'll never find Jesus in the context when he's actually talking about the event. Now, he does say, bless the Son of Man, be lifted up on a tree. He does talk himself like a serpent that was raised up on a, on a stick in the wilderness. He does refer to the cross as an end in itself. But when he speaks specifically Without picture terms about the cross, he never ends there. He never ends at the cross. He always goes to the empty tomb on the third day. Are you with me? You just read it with me. So the way I like to say it is Jesus never looked at the cross ever once. He always looked past the cross. The cross was the important part on the journey that gets us. We realize that he paid a penalty so we can be saved, so we can have eternal life. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But he didn't look there. He looked right past it. So I was pastoring a church before I became a bishop. I was a real person then. And, uh, and uh, we planted a church. There were about 10 people in the church. It was small. Then it grew. After about a year, we were about 200. After a couple years, we had about 300 people. And, and uh, pretty soon we realized in three years we were, uh, we were too large for the facilities we were in. We bought property. Uh, about the fifth year, sixth year, we said we were going to have to build. We were at six, 700 people. And it was just, we were having too many services. We had three or four services, and, and it was uh, too difficult to pack in there. So we said, we need to build a new sanctuary. We're going to build a 750-seat sanctuary, which we did. And, uh, and that was quite a deal, an ordeal where you're trying to build a large facility, and it was added on to this other building. We had to accommodate other things. We even got booted out of our own church for a while while they were completing it. And all the people were we're really wondering what the senior pastor, what the lead pastor wanted to say about this new facility, this part of the facility. You know, what color carpet should it be? What color should the walls be? And, 
do you structurally want it to be like this, kind of like a, uh, you know, a halfway around type of a stage type of thing, or a larger, longer uh, nave, or, you know, what do we want to do, how big the stage, all that kind of stuff. And you know what I kept telling them? By that time, we had lots of engineers, we had architects, and we had designers in the church. And I thought, why are you asking me? I, I don't care. You know, I don't care. Just they'd, they, Finally, they got to the place where they're a little fed up with me and said, don't you care about anything about the new, new facility? I said, well, yeah, it's got to be big enough. But I said, there is one design thing that I want to have. And they said, what's that? I said this. I said, I want to have four or five huge windows. I want them at least four or five feet wide, and I'd like them at least 10 feet tall. Like six by 12 would even be better. I want them great big huge windows all the way around the sides. And I want a huge cross, life-size, like somebody could hang on that thing. You know, I want to be people to be reminded of the magnitude of what the cross means in the Christian life. I want this little two-foot thing. Uh, I want a big cross, make it out of oak or something really beautiful to remind us just of the majesty of, uh, of what Jesus did. And I want, I don't want that stained glass stuff. I want clear glass all the way around. They went, okay, you're an unusual pastor, but uh, you want to enlighten us? Yeah, I'll enlighten you. I want people to be reminded that we're saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. So I want lots of crosses in that church. And I want them to see right through the window because we don't end at the cross. I want people to realize there's a world that they're, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, they're going out to do ministry. They're going to serve it. I want them to see people walking by that are lost and need Jesus. They need that cross. And I want them to see those people walking by. I didn't think about them seeing people coming late to church, which <laughs> was not a side benefit. I want them to look past the cross and see because of the cross, I want them to see the clouds and know that there's a heaven that God has prepared for us beyond those clouds where we can be with him for eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't want to stop at the cross. I want people to see the beautiful trees and things. We were on a beautiful 13-acre campus. <laughs> we were in a gorgeous place. and We had these great big fir trees, great big pine trees. I want them to see the beauty of the creation of the Lord right through the cross because of the cross that God can restore the creation that he promises in the scriptures. I said, oh, I want them to see the cross. I want them to look right past it because that's what Jesus did. They said, okay, now if you were to go to Timberview, you'll see a bunch of great big windows. Most people probably don't even know why they're there. And they'll see a great big cross in there. But there's a reason. Because I don't want to be one of those people that all we can see is the pain and the suffering and the anguish and the difficulty and the hardship that we've endured. But Jesus Christ gives us a whole lot more than that. Amen? Is there anybody here that believes that there's something good at the end of everything? The Lord does it. We lost a son eight years ago, Marlene and I did, to cancer. 17 brutal months watching his body deteriorate. Unfortunately, his mind was keen. His spirit was refreshed. He'd been a youth pastor for a number of years. He'd led many people to faith in Jesus Christ. He held his faith through the, through, uh, the storm and the midst of the things. And, and, uh, and we actually had people come to us and say things like, you know, aren't you a angry at God? You know, I said, why would I be angry at God? 
He said, well, you know, Mitch has got this deal. I said, yeah, I know. We're praying that he's healed. We pray that he's, and we prayed fervently that the Lord would restore him. And You know, <laughs> what was Jesus' last prayer? What was his last prayer in the upper room? He said, my prayer, Lord, after he said all these good things about God would keep us from the evil one and sanctify us in his truth and all this stuff, he said, my prayer for them is that they will be where I am. In other words, what did he pray for all of us? <laughs> that we get to join him. I feel like I'm Peter going, never, Lord. <laughs> this will never happen to Mitch. What? I just, I just prayed that he would join me someday. I, you want to pray against me? You're just like Peter. I've opened up the hope of heaven. So I would tell people, I said, no, we're not mad. I mean, you know, man, we gr do we grieve? Yeah, we grieve. Oh, man, we would grieve. I, shortly after Mitch passed away, I mean, I was sitting on an airplane. You know, it was just a couple months afterwards. And what I didn't know is he took my iPod, put his picture on it, put a bunch of songs about heaven, so that by the time I would be see his picture, and hear these songs of heaven, that he would be there, enjoying eternity. He put that on my iPod. Well, I hadn't seen it. So I'm on an airplane, and uh, frequently, because I travel so much, I get these free upgrades sometimes to go sit up where they actually have real forks and knives and real food and things like that. And so this happened to be a flight where I got the privilege of being upgraded, and I was sitting up there, and, and you know, and I'd been working on my computer, doing what good bishops do, and... Uh, you know, sending emails and doing stuff. And then all of a sudden they came and they want, we're going to serve us a meal. I said, sir, uh, would you like uh, chicken? We have chicken or pasta. Which would you like? And I said, I'll, I'll take the chicken, please. She said, okay. So I put my computer away, put my noise-canceling headphones on, took my iPod out, and I just decided I'd listen to some music. And I'm scrolling through and I see the picture of my son. He put on there. He's already gone. And the first song on there was, I can only imagine. Well, I'm bawling like a baby. She had delivered my food. I'm sitting there. I've got a fork in one hand, a knife in the other, and I am just bawling. I'm listening to a song about heaven. You know, I grieve. I, I, I know how difficult it is for a son to be gone, but there's such great hope in that, you know? So these were tears that were mingled, kind of sorrow and grief with joy and just knowing that he's there and it's finally his final reward. He's enjoying it, and we'll join him someday. And I'm sitting over there, and it just tears are streaming down. And the flight attendant saw this. Had no idea what was going on. She came up, and she tapped me on the shoulder, and I pulled my earphone back, and I said, yes. She said, sir, if you don't like the chicken, we have more pasta. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, I just, I said, the chicken will do. I mean, <laughs> I'll get it down somehow. No, it was tears, but it was, you know, we know what it is to experience hardship. We just don't stay there because Jesus didn't stay there. He gave us the hope of eternity. My goodness. I'm mad at God. No. Do I wish Mr. were here at times? Absolutely. Am I looking forward to him being there? Yes. Do I know that he's put all of his burdens down and he himself was looking so forward to, uh, to be in a place where there's no more suffering, no more tears, no more night, and no more sorrow? and be liberated from that. So the only reason I say that is I know everybody in here, you've had a trial. Some of you are going through it right now. Don't focus there. 
Because Jesus says on the third day you'll be raised to life. Jesus says there's something past the cross. And in this church, in your life specifically, the Lord has some great stuff in store, and I can't wait if you by faith will trust in him. Will you do that? I want you to stand with me right now. We're going to pray. The worship team is going to come forward. And uh, just bow with me in prayer. And as you bow, if you're just, if you right now, I don't I want everybody to look down. Just don't, don't look up. But if you're just wanting to say privately, I want the hope of Jesus Christ in my life, so I'm not looking where people typically look, but I ultimately can see the goodness that God has for me. I can receive him into my life. Would you raise your hand right now? Just say, I want to receive him. I want to receive everything good for him. Praise the Lord, several of you. If you're going through a difficult time right now and you're saying, I want to be able to experience his goodness rather than just see the, the difficulties, would you raise your hand as well? Praise the Lord, there's several of you. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks as we're together here. Lord, even this church in transition, it's real easy to kind of get focused on uh, difficulties or what what's this kind of the unknown and what will a transition be like. But Lord, we're not focused on that. Lord, you're, this is your church. You've given us the greatest hope of, that anyone could receive. Lord Jesus, for those who just said, I want, I want the hope of eternity in my life, Lord, I pray that they would just simply pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Take all of the bad stuff that I've done and take the negativity of my own heart and my own mind and that focus and just remove it and replace it with your salvation, with your joy, with your peace, with your hope. Lord, for every person that's experiencing difficulty right now, some particular unique hardship, we pray, God, that you would that you would give them uh, a view of the resurrection, of the goodness that you have in store for them, Lord. And God, we will have our ears attuned and our eyes aware of the good things that you have in store for your people. We give you thanks and praise for the wonderful work that you have done and you will do. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen, amen. Remain standing as we worship the Lord.